Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Soshing with Suntwe. Uh, every Wednesday we do this. Uh, we have a different guest every Wednesday. For those of you who don't know, Soshing with Suntwe is a live broadcast slash podcast slash YouTube video that um, goes out every Wednesday at 6 p.m. BST, 7 p.m. CAT, although the chime is going to change to 8 p.m. CAT when the clocks change the side because of, uh, you know, daylight savings time and all that. Um, on Soshing with Suntwe, we have a guest every week and we bring ordinary people who have made extraordinary choices and as a result live extraordinary lives because we don't believe there are any extraordinary people, just ordinary people who make extraordinary choices. So uh, hopefully you'll find this interesting. If you just uh, give us a second, I'm just going to take a second to use my phone and uh, um, share this uh, feed so that uh, we can get as many people watching as possible. If you're already there, drop us a, a, a comment. Let us know where you're watching from. Say hi. Introduce yourself. Hopefully, you'll get fully involved in the conversation and drop as many comments and as many questions and get involved as much as you like because we want this to be interactive. We don't want it to be a, a, quiet, uh, a quiet chat. We want everybody to get involved. So if you think any of your mates will be interested, Please feel free to share, tag people. The more, the merrier. Share the love. And uh, yeah, but let me just give me a second now to focus so I can uh, share this stuff quickly. Um, Got to just focus. I can't do two things at once. You know how it is. Uh, there, we're going to put in Soshing with Suntwe. We're going to put in a couple of groups. Um, group can be that one if you want abby you can chuck it in kayaking groups as well okay um whatever and if anybody else wants to send it into a group somewhere please feel free i'm quite happy to have it go wherever um cool um I think that's it. So far, we got six people with us. Oh, 19 people with us. My bad, not six. I just want to get it up on my feed here so that we have it all great so I can see your comments and that I'm not missing out on anybody or ignoring anybody. So far, we've got Rachel Stretton says, me and the kids say hi. Hi, Rachel. Thanks for coming. Hi, Rachel. Yay. Um. Wow, 25 people already. My living. We've got uh, Christine McStay-Robinson. Hi, Paul. I've been having internet problems but managed to get through tonight. Oh, well, that's fantastic. Welcome, Christine. Um, cool. So without further ado, I know I've done all the, the admin that I have to do. Um, I just want to introduce uh, Abby Dent. And Abby is a, a kayaker from Ecuador. Well, born in Ireland, raised in Ecuador, kayaks in Ecuador but now is in uh, the UK and um, we haven't had a chance yet, but the whole plan is that uh, Abby and I are going to get on the water at some point and try and shred some rivers and some rapids and um, have a bit of fun. But before we did that, I thought we sh it would be good to have her on the show and we can have a chat and get to know of where she comes from and uh, the mindset that she's uh, used to get where she's, where she's gone. So hi, Abby. Hi. Yeah. Thanks for having me here. Super happy to be a part of your show. So, yeah. So let's start right at the very beginning. Born in Ireland, whereabouts? I was born in Port Leash. Um, I don't know where so that is. <laughs> Port Leash, in the southern part of Ireland. Um, I was there till I was eight years old. And um, my mum was raised in Zimbabwe. So she had met my dad in Ireland. And a big part of her having children was she wanted to bring us up in a bit more outdoorsy place. So um, at one point they wanted to go to Africa. It didn't work out. So they pretty much spun the globe and the finger landed on Ecuador. Um, so my dad came and checked it out. And um, yeah, a few months later, we had moved there. Four children, my grandma and my parents. And we ended up wow. in the highlands of Ecuador. Yeah. So how old were you when you, when you arrived in Ecuador? I was eight years old when we arrived in Ecuador and um, our parents thought the best way to merge us into the country was put us straight in school. So we didn't know Spanish at the time. Um, so we started, we arrived in July and we started school in September. So that was a 
pretty crash course of Spanish for us. Um, and after being a year in the Highlands, mum decided wasn't, you know, what she wanted for us. And um, there was the opportunity to go to the jungle. So mm. my parents decided to move us to the jungle. Yeah. Wow. And um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. so kayaking has been a big part of your life and whitewater has been a big part of your life, both on the the raft guiding and kayaking side what start what came first raft guiding or kayaking uh, raft guiding would probably have come first i started going down rivers when i was 11 on sit on top kayaks so i okay. pretty much learned about white water that way and then going on all the raft trips uh, my my dad became a guide at one of the companies the first companies that existed at that time and i would just was go that along. a local I'd ecuadorian company or was it it was a guy from uh, Spain that was uh, raised sort of in the States and he wanted to start a company in Ecuador because they saw there was really big potential for rivers um, in Ecuador and there was no rafting companies happening at that time. So us children thought this was great that dad had this job and we would go along on as many trips as we could. And I was like, this is what I want to do. So I wanted to quit school quick and become a raft guide. So that was the first mission. So yeah. you, you then became a raft guide, yeah? I became a raft guide. I got my license, my first license at age 16. So I was commercially Is... guiding class three, three plus rivers at that time. And that license was an IRF license or was it? Uh... That was an IRF license uh, and they came down from the United States to do it. So we would have um, the canoe association would come down and do it randomly once every year at that time, um, oh, cool. along with another association from Ecuador. So they would do the courses. Oh, nice. So for those who don't know, IRF is International Rafting Foundation or Federation. Was it Federation or Foundation? Federation. Yeah, Federation. Federation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So were there a lot of female raft guides when you started? Nope, absolutely not. So there were none at that time. Um, there was one for a little while that was trying, but no. So for that entire time, all the courses I did would be about between 48 to 50 men um, in the first courses that I did. And it proved quite difficult at the time because this was the first time they'd seen this and it was not acceptable. So the first test I had to do separate. Um, the instructors from the States took me and did all my tests uh, by myself. Got so me to you, guide them down. Everything. You said 48 to 50 guy, uh, people doing a course. To be a guy yeah, each did. time. Well, the first one that was done because there was a sudden interest and nobody had done one of these tests. So the first one I did, that was that amount of people. So that was pretty much all the guides in the country that were like, wow, this is the first course that's happening. Um, so there was a lot of interest. Later on, it became, you know, as the courses got more frequent, there was probably like, you know, between 12 to 15 at a time, depending. But that first one was the largest number that there was that's that's incredible the reason i'm surprised by that is because uh for those who don't know i'm my home river is the zambezi that's where i come from and um i don't know if there's even 50 guides in the entire zambezi river like i don't know if there's 50 guides if you count zambia and zimbabwe together i i feel like 50 is a lot but yeah. then well, right now you're probably sorry go ahead but then we're on one river and then uh, apparently, like, I don't know a lot about Ecuador. Uh, you know, I've never thought of Ecuador as a massive kayaking destination or a massive rafting destination until I started speaking to you. And you told me there's some ridiculous number of rivers in that country. There's over 2,000 rivers in Ecuador, all leading to the Amazon. And around where I live in the three districts that are most popular for kayakers, we have about, you know, between 36 to 60 rivers that are counted as the more popular ones, all in like a four to five hour perimeter to drive to. Between class incredible. one to class five, which is the river classification for people who are um, unaware, five being the highest and one being the lowest. That's incredible. We've got, uh, I don't know, I'm gonna butcher people's names, I'm afraid, because I don't know pronunciation, <laughs> but we've got uh, Vane Carrera, Vane, Vane? Vane, hola. She was one of my first students in my uh, girls' kayak club. So no, she is, so, uh, yeah. Abby, come back. <laughs> and and Robin Sher Edwards saying Abby is my hero. Ah, <laughs> uh, hi, Robin. 
Okay, so going back to the guiding now. So you started guiding at the age of 16. Yep. And were you guiding and kayaking parallel or was it just I most... was. Yeah. I was so... guiding and learning to kayak at the same time. There was very few kayaks at the time, very ill-equipped. Um, we didn't have the appropriate gear, so we all had the old-fashioned longboat, so we were learning... Oh. Sorry. Um, yeah, we were learning in old-fashioned kayaks. And so I had what my was your first kayak? My first, first kayak, Frankenstein. It was a wave sport Frankenstein. All right. So, okay, so I going back to the guiding, sorry. Yeah. Um, did, you, did you have any major barriers to entry, though, when you started, when you were wanting to be a guide, uh, a raft guide? Yes, I think the hardest thing for me was I was very slight of frame and a lot of the the guides thought I would not be able to to manage a boat or flip a raft or get down a river um, due to or, my size. Or haul a customer so back into the raft. Yeah, so I had to spend a lot of time training and practicing. Um, my brothers would help me out um, and we'd practice as much as we could just so I could, you know, do a flip in under a minute, which is usually what you are, you know, supposed to do in a guiding exam and get to shore and all that. So I did have that. And in the course of a lot of people um, making fun or saying I couldn't do it or yelling at me as I was doing the tests. So I found those very difficult uh, barriers to overcome. So I had to, dad, my dad told me, if you really want to stick, you're going to come up, you know, with a few barriers and that such. So. Yeah. So the thing is, um, with with that, like being smaller and uh, did you overcome that with training and strength or did you find little hacks and tricks and stuff that you could do? I, that? Found, I found little hacks and tricks and it's the same goes for even my paddling skills. I was never someone who, no matter how much I tried to build up a lot of muscle, I had a very difficult time doing that. Um, so I found little ways that helped me and different techniques. I, I literally would write things out, find things that would work for me. Um, I watched other people and to see what type of things they would use. A lot of guys would use pure strength to get in and sometimes they were slower. So I just looked at little techniques and did different adjustments to the boat to help me as I was playing. Nice. So, so yeah, so going back to, to that thing. So were there any moments where you were just like, this is not like, was it difficult for you to become a guide or did you sort of crush it and nail it from the beginning? Um, no, I think I, I liked it from the beginning because I loved water so much. I pretty had a, I think I had a good knack for it. So, so did you have any moments where you thought, uh, oh, fuck this, this is not worth it. I'm just going to give up. Or was it pretty much the, I, the love I for the river overtook everything? No, I was pretty stubborn in the fact that this is what I wanted to do. I did definitely had a couple of days here and there when, um, you know, if the river was higher, I would feel a little tenser. Um, and just, I think, people, people's attitude, seeing a younger girl guiding at the back um, and not trusting me, that made me be more like, I've got to get this, you know, the way I want it to be. Did you get like direct uh, sort of mistrust from customers then? Absolutely. I had people who would not want to paddle. I had um, sometimes I would take some. We took one trip. I remember some of the military from Ecuador. We had the entire military cadets and the colonels. And I ended up with the generals and the colonels in my boat. And they were like, this is not going to be fun. We can't believe we have the girl guide. Um <laughs> We we're not going to paddle. We're not going to do this. And they just laugh when I would try to direct them. So, yeah, first rapid, I, if people are familiar with rafting, I made them fall out and swim a rapid. And then I said, are you sure you want a girl to pull you in? Okay, I got you. You sure? Pull them in. And then, you know, they're like, okay, we're willing to paddle now. So that was my, <laughs> my barrier passing that one. <laughs> this yeah. is the way I got through that. Yeah. It's pretty standard stuff. When you've got a cocky boatload, then you just uh, teach them a quick lesson where it's <laughs> safe to, and then, yep. uh, and then they yeah, learn a little bit of respect quick. and uh, how to follow instructions. <laughs> yeah, they think it's, it's a different thing swimming in a rapid with really big roller coaster waves is way different than a swimming pool. So they learn pretty fast to do the forward paddle stroke when it comes to that. Yeah, <laughs> we got a couple of nice comments that I'm just going to uh, to acknowledge. 
Uh, you're going to have to help me with a couple of these because we've got some <laughs> Spanish comments. You're going to have to translate them for us. All right. Um, we've got uh, Pamela Roche, Abby, wonderful woman. She's truly Jane from the jungle. Great example for many girls and women in Ecuador. What an inspired and blessed woman she is. Love from Michigan, USA. Ah. Jess Pope says, hey, Abby. <laughs> Again, I'm going to butcher names. I'm sorry, but... Uh, That's all right. Giovanni, Giovanni Romo. Giovanni Romo is the, Giovanni Romo? the first guy. Yeah, he, Giovanni Romo is a guide who accepted me in the new location I'm working in. It's the first Spanish company that's accepted me to guide for them. Oh, wow. So he said, a uh, large greeting and a warm and big oh hug from all of the team and friends here in Baños. That's where I live. Wishing you the best and good lines on the river always. Wonderful. So they've got it on big screen, he says, in their office. Ah, sweet. That's awesome. So, yeah. Hi, everyone. Hi. Hola, Ecuador. ¿Qué tal? <laughs> uh, we got Mary Higgins. Tappan. Abby Dent is an amazing human being with a huge heart that knows no bounds. Hello from New York. Wow, this is a truly international audience tonight. <laughs> and uh, Rita Boychuk. Abby is the best. She got me into River Sup and I have cuddled her along the old Canadian riverbanks. I miss you, Abby. She's the best river babe in my inspiration. That's awesome. So tell me, um, you've paddled quite a lot of different rivers, not only in Ecuador, but all over. What is, um, give me an idea of where you've been and what some of your highlights are. Um, okay, so mostly, of course, Ecuador, and then the other place I've been to is Canada. I've done briefly some here in England, but I've been in uh, British Columbia on the, on the, in the Kootenays area. So I worked mm -hmm. with a company that comes down to Ecuador every year, and I got to paddle there and live along the banks of the river there for six months and travel around Canada. Um, oh, wow. And then I got invited in 2017. I went on tour with the women called Pinkwater. And um, we did two weeks in Quebec and Montreal and all the rivers around there. Very so nice. that's so quite a lot of rivers covered in that district. And in the United States, I've been on some in the Colorado area. So yeah. so going back again, so the rafting, we, we sort of covered where you went with that and how you got into that. So what when did the kayaking thing really start? Um, I had been kayaking on and off and as I'd almost self-taught myself with a really good friend, um, that was my best friend at the time, she was learning with me and then returned to her country. I, I tried to keep it up, but I had no one to really direct me to learn the proper way of learning. So after probably six, seven years of struggling and getting down rivers without much technical ability, um, I met some some of the first girls that came down to Ecuador to paddle from Holland, uh, my good friend Maud. And that was the first group of women I'd ever kayaked with. And I remember saying to her, do we not need some, you know, guys to come with us? They were like, no. I was like, there's five of us. We'll, we'll look after you. And it was my first time down, you know, a steeper class four creek. I was about 22. And I was really nervous because I was in this long boat. They all had their fancier gear and I was like wow I want to paddle like these girls because they could boof like do jumps over rocks is what we call it in river and they could you know do a lot of stuff that I hadn't learned I could basically up until then get down rivers I could you know get my boat back over I could get down rivers but I hadn't learned any of the technical aspects hmm. so they helped me a lot and then I met um, a kayaker from Canada Chris Ryman and he decided to invite me to Canada and do training from the beginning, made me start right over again. So that was a little hard for me to take because I was like, I can kayak. And uh, he was like, no, you need to learn right from the beginning and we'll, we'll build you up. And I think I jumped a bunch of steps doing that process. So that mm -hmm. was about when I was 22, where I really started to really focus more on kayaking and the rafting slowly started fading out for me. I see. And um, so kayaking is really where your passion is more than even kayaking, drop. Yes. I think I, I've, I think physically rafting after about eight years was probably enough on the body because we do it all year round there. It's not seasonal. Yeah. So 
you know, it was a lot to take and very tiresome, and I wasn't feeling very fulfilled by it. Um, I think teaching kayaking uh, fulfilled me in a way, you know, bigger way. Just seeing people learn the joy that they got from going down rivers, actually teaching people to get down rivers by themselves, and I, me being the one that's helped them do this. So I found that way more gratifying. Yeah, for sure. And mm -hmm. so where was I, I missed it in the in the thing where was it where you kayaked with these people that really was the turning point for you this was in tena in the jungle where i grew up um so it in started ecuador. To, yeah in ecuador we started to get more people like slowly coming down because kayak season in ecuador wasn't a big thing at that time mm. and we'd have random pockets of groups come down and um you know check it out and suddenly it became really popular and more and more groups started to come. And that was the, the biggest amount of women that I had ever seen, like kayakers, like I had never met. I had met one lady kayaker way back um, that comes to Ecuador and she's wrote, written the book on Ecuador rivers. Oh, wow. um, so that's Darcy, she's written a book on that and they did the first descents on rivers. So she was the only other kind of woman I had met that was a kayaker at that time. So nice. yeah, that was on a creek in a jungle river in Ecuador. So yeah, very nice. So from that, your inspiration was to uh, not no longer be the sole kayaking lady in Ecuador, and uh, you decided to create a club. Yes. So that came a little bit uh, further along the line after I'd been in Canada and saw the amount of women that were raft guiding kayakers. I came back, and that was the goal. So I came back from Canada in 2012. And by 2014, I started the first group of girls. I, I met the first Ecuadorians I'd met that were interested in the sport. So I started off with just two, two, three girls and that would actually travel a few hours to come and meet me. At that time, I was living in the Cloud Forest area, which is a kayaking destination. And I was guiding and I was running a small hostel there. And um, I started the group there and the girls would come every weekend and we started going out and it slowly started to become more of a more of a project for me. So how does it work in, in Ecuador with uh, local people and wanting to be raft guides and kayakers and all the rest of it? Is it is it does it come purely from a passion for water and wilderness or is it um, sort of like an opportunity for income and that sort of thing? The reason I ask is because. On the Zambezi, where I come from, it's there's a very specific progression and a sort of rite of passage that 99% of guides go through. And um, if you've ever, if anyone's ever been to the Zambezi, you'll know it's quite a deathly walk in and out of the gorge. It's a it's a big, big walk carrying kayaks and rafts down, and and at the end of the day, carrying kayaks and rafts out. And um, the villagers. Uh, work as porters and are hired to carry the kit up and down by the rafting companies and it's part of a it's sort of like a community development thing where instead of just you know having full-time staff that do that the villagers have a thing where they rotate um, the work between the community and all of that so that everybody gets a piece of the pie at the end of the day and um, there's a very specific progression as well so if a young village boy wants to become a kayaker or a raft guide or a you know, a safety boater or a video boater, he's got to put in his time as a porter first and yes. uh, and then try and uh, attach himself to one of the kayakers or raft guides that then takes him under his wing and then his spare time will help him on like getting rolling and give him his old secondhand gear and start getting the guy going. But I mean, it takes years. I know guys who've been porters for nine years before they've got their first bit of kit and started rolling and and um and then eventually get rolling and then they eventually are allowed to accompany trips down and then from accompanying trips they get a little bit more and more and more responsibility and eventually get themselves into a certain position and eventually become a raft guide or a safety kayak or a video boat or whatever it is and like that they go from literally earning next to nothing to being pulled out of out of that situation and having a good solid income and solid job and going on to guide all over the world as well i mean a lot of my mates guide from the zambezi guide in norway in the off season 
because the the, Nor the Norwegian season just happens to correlate with the Zambezi high water season when there's no rafting. So right. So yeah. So I want to know it's more about how. Very yeah. similar. Um, yes, in in a way that I think you're going to find a little bit of both in that. Um, you're going to find the guides that do it for passion, and you're going to find the guides that do it for a job. Um, so there is a really good amount that really enjoy white water. Um, and a lot of them learn just like that. They're like, we want to come along and somebody lends them some gear and they're sort of thrown down a little bit. Um, we do have a river that we use porters into and some of them have definitely learned to kayak, but most of the ones that have become raft guides have been either sons or cousins or brothers of a guide and they've all taken an interest in it. But um, yeah, there are certain areas like where I live that for some it's just a job and they won't, as you would say, maybe branch out and explore other rivers they stick to the one they know and that's you know they're living so it's a little bit different so you're going to find a bit of both i would say yeah because i mean the same thing on the zambezi like uh don't get me wrong by what i said like most of the dudes there are yeah. absolutely passionate about what they do and and are amazing um but and but at the same time again because it's, it's small village community stuff it's again it's like someone's cousin who's now being taken under the wing by the cousin and, and brought up and, you know, every now and again, the, it'll be someone unrelated, but yeah, a lot of the time it's family and friends and that sort of thing. So very similar situation by the sounds of it. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so when you started the, the, the kayak club, what was your goal? What was, what were you um, thinking at that time? What were, did you just come back from Canada and be like, all right, I'm starting a club cause I want to teach ladies or was there, <laughs> did you no, have some kind of vision i had literally i didn't even know where it was going to lead all i knew is that i wanted to get more girls paddling along with me um the whole aspect of paddling with girls and a different sense of calm that um i found paddling with women not to say i don't enjoy paddling with guys because i've learned so much from them um but there's a just a little bit of a difference paddling with women and i was like i want to have that more and it around me so when i came back and just started teaching i was just happy to take a couple of girls on the river and um i think the first thing that really motivated me was because someone sent us a donation of gear and we're like we're really you know excited that you're doing this project and there was a bunch of people that gotten together a load of you know their secondhand life jackets sent it to ecuador and we were just super excited that you know people were people were cheering us on in other words so me and my other friend nadia we started to like really in earnest look for girls that were um interested in learning to paddle and we started the group and that later became afterwards we decided you know we we did the girls group for i would say about four years five years and um we decided later it was time to integrate with teaching children and and take it to the next level our vision so um we wanted to teach kids um join with you know guys and because i realized the importance of having male instructors as well as women instructors because there were certain things i just you know would get better you know from a male instructor and that's mm. when we developed kayak club that's cool so we've got a question here from Nicola Burt. She says, do you take people from never having kayak to being able to go by themselves? If so, roughly how long would it take a person to be able to do this? Is it achievable in a single trip or does it literally take years and copious lessons similar to ice sports? Um, ice so sports yes, are. yes, we do do lessons straight from if you've never kayaked before, but I think a lot depends on the person. I would never be able to say this person is going to learn in this amount of time. Hmm. literally some people who thought that they are going to be able to learn really fast have taken longer so i think it absolutely depends on the person but in general a school that you're going to do is between three to five days where you're going to learn all the basics on how to read water how to get down a river and of course um understand how you know hydrodynamics work and things like that and learn to roll your kayak but most of the girls would probably be paddling for about a year down class two and we'd slowly progress to class three as the year went by just because i like to take it at a calm pace and make sure they understand everything that they are doing um so the way i teach is quite specific and um i like literally that to cover all grounds so that they are able to go by themselves 
and not be um, following someone all the time. So I mm. do, you know, focus on that a lot. So cool. that answers the question. Yeah, I mean, uh, from my perspective, I've taught quite a few people how to kayak as well. And and even something simple like just the rolling. Some people get the roll in three tries. Some people take a month. It's just, yeah, it's, absolutely. it's just so individual. I don't think it's, uh, uh, here's the next question from, how does that compare to yours, yours Paul, on the Zambezi? Well, so <laughs> there's... There's two, you know, like it depends on the Zambezi as well. It depends on who you uh, who you affiliate yourself to. Some some guides who teach other other guides or other kayakers have a very old school, give them the beatering of a lifetime approach. And if they still come <laughs> back, true. then we 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 let them beater until until we think they're worthy of some some you know instruction. <laughs> yeah. I, I I had quite a, an interesting. Uh, introduction to kayaking myself um but yeah it was uh it just depends my personal approach was always to spend some time in a swimming pool teaching the rolling getting that all sorted and making sure they're confident in the boat confident upside down confident with not being able to breathe for a little bit and holding their breath and then would progress on the zambezi the thing with the zambezi is it's a big river and it's a very forgiving river and it's you know if you you have to be trying you sort of have to be trying hard to really go wrong um but you'll get beated at if you don't know what you're doing you'll get beated at every rapid but you should be you know you'll go in and come out the other end you flush and you 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 flush <laughs> looking a little bit waterlogged and wide-eyed but you you definitely most of the time come out in in low water levels <laughs> yeah so as long as you enter in the right place you normally come out okay um, you have to really enter in the wrong place to not come out okay. So, but on the but there, I my approach was never to just you know throw people into the big stuff. I would always try and take them down to the bottom end of the river, below rapid eighteen, between between the bottom of eighteen and like rapid twenty four, because between rapid eighteen and nineteen, there are there's a long section of of nice small rapids that are class three at the most, um, but they're quite big class three. But they're not. So it's water. Not, sorry. I said roller coastery type of water. Yeah, just big waves. It's nice stuff. And uh, then number nineteen, you get past that. It's a little bit squirrely, but nothing dangerous. And twenty-one, twenty-two are also just wave trains that you don't have to worry about. And then number twenty-three is uh, the first sort of baptism at low water. It's 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 nothing serious, but it's 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 big for a first timer. And uh, right. that's when that's normally where everybody. Uh, I mean, a lot of people swim before that, but if you haven't swum before that point, that's where they always swim in the beginning. That's where it's gonna happen. <laughs> that's where it's gonna happen, and then we can collect at the bottom and say, "You see, it's not so bad. <laughs> yeah. You're still alive. It's all good." Take, take deep breath. You'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, and then you know, and then once you do that, run that section as many times as you can until they get confident, and then slowly upgrade. The, with the Zambezi, it's quite nice because it has sections. You have the bottom of eighteen to twenty-four, which is a nice starter section, and then you have the eleven to twenty-four section where it gets quite. There's some good stuff, but you can walk around any of the sketchy stuff. Like low water number eleven is not so good. I was about for to beginning. ask that if you could walk around any of the rapids, or do you have to run them? What's that? I was just about to ask that if you if you have a way to walk around them or is it you must run rapids? Is there any must run rapids that you just can't walk around? Um, I mean, you can pretty much walk around everything if you wanted to. Right. But some of the like the terrain around the rapids is really crap. And I've, I I broke my toe once walking around Rapid Seven because I wasn't concentrating. I kicked a rock, and I, because I sometimes I would just walk number seven because I didn't feel like running it that day. Right. And um, and I remember kicking myself, going for fuck's sake, you know, this would have been so much. I, if I just run it, it would have been fine. <laughs> but because I'm usually I'm being, what we halfway around a portage, I should have just run it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. As soon as you get halfway, you're like, oh fuck, I should have just run it. The boat's heavy. Yeah. This is shit. My feet are burning and I've broken my toe. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much how it goes, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, you can walk pretty much anything you want, but it's the terrain is crap. It's hard. Like if you wanted to walk around number five, 
Number five is a massive, massive rapid. It's called Stairway to Heaven. It's big. It looks I've scary. Seen videos of, yeah. Um, but it's so forgiving. It's so fluffy. It's so nice. And you know, I'd rather like it's it's easier to beat your way through it than to walk around it. Even if you even if you just fall over at the top, hold your breath and roll up at the bottom, it's easier than walking around. <laughs> it makes it sound so easy. Yeah. <laughs> Just hold your breath for you know a minute or two. You'll be fine, right? At the bottom, yeah. Pick yeah, up your yeah. piece. You learn to breathe through your asshole, you know, when you're upside down. There's, <laughs> air, there's air in your boat. But <laughs> uh, we got a comment from Amanda McKenzie saying, "Beta teaching sounds like some of my guy instructor friends' uh, teaching technique." Haha. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a typical bloody dick measuring contest. Macho guys trying to get each other <laughs> beat it it's it's normal <laughs> we need to calm Very down true. stop trying to measure your dicks everybody <laughs> <laughs> be nice <laughs> donna tipler says when uh you are far too modest every time you come out those rapids you look like you're on a picnic you make me tired just saying <laughs> uh, okay well thanks donna <laughs> I took Donna's, uh, Donna's son and I actually went down that bottom section uh, on inner tubes from a car. <laughs> I, did I, did he go on an inner tube? Yeah, he went on an inner tube with me once, but then I also took him kayaking. I was teaching him how to kayak that section for a little bit, but then he had previous shoulder issues that were playing up, so we right. didn't get very far. Um, Togolosh Zim. I love it when Togolosh Zim comes onto the, onto the chat because... Uh, for those who don't know, Tokoloshi is a is a name for a goblin in Zimbabwe. So it's a it's a very specific little goblin that you use to, you know, you oh, have really? a pet goblin that goes and steals from other people and terrorizes your enemies and stuff. <laughs> so that's what that's what a Tokoloshi is. It's a tiny little it's like it's basically the equip, the equivalent of a leprechaun, but it's just <laughs> uglier than nice. a leprechaun. Uh, what things what things do you have to worry about on the rivers you navigate in zim we have hippos crocs uh bad eddies razor rocks etc um yeah. yeah right so um well in ecuador is the land of soft rocks they call it there is the razor rocks on some of the rivers but most of the rift rivers you're going to find absolute what we call smooth soft rocks um the one thing that we have to concern we have usually no no dangerous animals in the river um probably mosquitoes are going to be your one if you're doing an overnighter but the one thing that does happen in south america is flash floods um our main concern when we are going down rivers is you need to understand how the climate works if you mm. do not understand jungle weather and where it's coming from and what tributaries you're doing you could find yourself in a lot of trouble because a lot of the main uh rapids or rivers you're doing are going to have at least 10 to 15 tributaries coming in at any given time so if it's raining up above you could have you know a lot of water come behind you so that is the one thing that a lot of kayakers have had to deal with coming to ecuador is actually taking advice learning about how to to you know see which area they're in if they're in the jungle it's going to act one way if they're in the highlands you're going to have a whole different style and in the coast you're going to have a whole different style as well so we have three different um type of areas in ecuador that we are kayaking in hot cold and you know hot humid so you have to figure all that out so that is the biggest i would say challenge on the rivers that we have mm. flash floods are, are a real thing but i've i've never ever dealt with flash floods in a kayaking context only in a canyoning context and that can be terrifying yeah it's, lock, it's you're locked Scary. into a steep canyon and you have to do rope work to get out and the water can rise five meters in, in seconds. Yeah. And It yeah, is a very to... scary thing, yeah. So that is, I would say. And then in terms of animals, uh, if you're in the jungle, you're going to have jungle cats, but they're going to be more afraid of you than you are of them as a general thing. Uh, snakes quite a bit, but if you have a fire going, they stay pretty much away. So you always have to have yeah. your little kit with you on an overnighter. And snakes are our friends, guys. Don't don't be haters on snakes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Pamela Roche. Is it Roche? Roche? Pamela? Pamela Roche. Yeah. Pamela Roche. Uh, we've heard so many wonderful kayaking stories from her. If it's, if it's okay with Abby, can she share one of the most amazing ones? Pamela, this is a great question. Thank you for that. 
Ooh, that that's a that covers a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of ones. There's uh so many different ones. <laughs> trying to think of, of in the context of one. Um, I could share. Um, I would say one of the first rivers we did as a family. One of the first descents is like the Hojin River. We were the first people to run um the beginning waterfall of it, and that was like an eight and a half nine meter waterfall. And that started what opened up now is the Hojin Overnighter as a rafting trip. And that was uh, probably one of the, you know, coolest expeditions because nobody had um, explored down that area in a raft. It was class four or five river. We learned what it is to do overnight trip, um, how to deal with the jungle and just experience all these, you know, new rapids for us. So that was one of probably one that stands out in my mind. So clarify um, that you ran the eight meter waterfall in a raft. Yes, we did as a family. Yes. My, my. The only waterfall I've ever gone over in a raft is the one on the Kaituna River in New Zealand and uh, the Tutea Falls. And that's, yeah, that's, that's a officially. That's officially like half the height. <laughs> but I think it's less yeah. than half the height because they, they sell it as a four meter waterfall, but it's. I don't know. I, I'm not buying the four meters myself. No, they sell it as a seven meter, I think. Oh, I can't remember. That's Someone I, thought, will... I, I thought it was about seven meters, the Kaituna. Yeah, I think they sell it as a seven meter, but it's closer to four, if I'm in my opinion. Yeah, we would actually, um, we started running it commercially. So that expedition was one that we opened up. And as a family, we, we first found it halfway down and we'd use porters to get in. And then we went further upstream and found the waterfall to start with the raft and we would boof it. So we put the weight at the back, hold the, the rope, and as it would hit the bottom, lift the boat up so we wouldn't get engulfed. And that Amazing. was the, the way that we did it at the first start. Um, and and there's, there's a lot of different experience we've had um, kayaking and rafting over there, but take a while to find some really <laughs> ones to talk about. What size rafts do you use on the in Ecuador? Do you use five seater? Um, we have uh, fourteen footers and sixteen footers is the general, and they're like tributary airs. So you'll have about six people in them and your guide, and then the longer ones you'll have, you know, up to eight people and a guide. But that's for like the big water class three um, that you'll use that, or for expeditions. Uh huh. Interesting. Um, we've got a question from. Uh, Louise Barry Taylor just saying what made Abby choose Ecuador so if you can just clarify that I think um, <laughs> yeah so I didn't choose Ecuador my parents did um they moved there when we were little so they as I said they sort of it was a random decision um some people had visited there they said it was good to go and pretty much packed our bags and went there um originally it was only for two years and it got extended every two years another two years until suddenly we were there 27 years Jeez, that's a long yeah. time. <laughs> right. So we're getting to, I mean, it's already nearly 45 minutes in. Um, so <laughs> can you believe it? So uh, I just want to tell everybody if they've got questions, this is a good time to start dropping them in now. If you've got anything to say, please get it in now because um, we'll be wrapping this up in about 15 minutes. I've got a couple more questions that I'm going to ask, but we'll try and get in as many questions from, from you guys as we can. Uh, for those who joined us late, uh, this show is all about celebrating ordinary people who do extraordinary things because we don't believe that uh, there are any extraordinary people, just ordinary people that make extraordinary choices. Um, we're here every week, same time, doing the same thing, different guests, different topics. Sometimes we have a panel discussion where there's like six of us discussing a certain uh, specific topic. Um, but most of the time, it's looking at uh, different perspectives of different people's lives and trying to see, you know, trying to learn from from their their um, their experiences. Um, so the, it's the the show is called Soshing with Suntwe. For those who I don't know as well, is uh, Soshing is a Zimbabwean slang term that means socializing, and uh, Suntwe is my nickname from the Zambezi, which means hyena because apparently I have the most horrendous laugh and the face only a mother can love. So um apparently uh, my my animal is hyena so as a result i like to ask my my guests every every week what animal it is that they relate to so abby what what animal do you identify yourself as and why um well i i think i've had this one pretty clear since i was younger one of my favorite animals in the jungle is the river otter 
And uh -huh. um, I learned to swim following how they swim. And the native children that time were like, if you want to learn how to swim like that, they taught me a few tricks, how to go in the eddies and come out. And um, the river otter is one of the most playful animals, um, super sociable and very protective of their groups that are with them. Um, and just an absolute, really one of the coolest animals, I would say, in the water that you could find and just loves playing in the water all day. So that's who I identify myself with because it's really hard to drag me away from a river. Amazing. So um, Louise Barry Taylor is asking, does Abby have a website? Sorry if you already covered this. We haven't covered this. Um, you can take an opportunity now just to plug if you do have a website, but also talk about your Airbnb and your business and your kayaking club and how it all works for people that wanting to come and paddle or wanting to come and explore the rivers and jungle with you there. Okay, so yeah, we could probably is add the link in afterwards. Um, the kayak club is Kayak Club Ecuador, and it's located in the jungle. And we currently run that between a team of five of us. And it's Gabrielle, the president. I'm vice president. And then we have the girls that are in my group. And then we have 53 members of the club to date right now. We've been uh, functioning for a year. So we will add that website in. And at the same time, I run a hostel in the mountains of Ecuador, just under a volcano. Um, I have a guest house there that um, usually is for kayakers in the kayak season. We have campsite and a guest house for anybody who wants to stay there. A lot of fruit trees and things like that. And it's right on a river, of course. <laughs> so people can kayak down to the, the, the house and stay there at the same time. That's cool. Yeah. I've put a Kayak Club Ecuador Facebook page. I've tagged it in the comments already. So if you're looking for it, yep. that's your first port of call to yep. go and see what's what. Um, then uh, Adriana Dent. Hey, Abby, from your niece and sister-in-law in Ireland. We love you. Ah. <laughs> Hello. So, uh, yeah. I'm Sorry. Jack Henderson. What is the winter 2020-2021 season looking like this year with COVID-19 considerations in Ecuador? Um, so far, it has been opened up. Um, I know that some kayakers have already arrived in the country and are uh, paddling down the rivers. So the first group got there with no problems. And as most of the paddling destinations have their own kind of hostels, it's quite uh, separated from the big towns. Uh, I think it's, you know, pretty chill to go there and hang out so we have in Baeza which is the highlands you'll have Gina's place and Rodrigo's which are the kayaking central and then you have in Tena we have at the kayak club we have also Perezoso which is the other kayak um, area that most people go to stay and all these are located outside of the town um, so far we don't really have any idea of how many people are going to come this year just because of the circumstance so I think it's sort of just wait and see what happens type of a thing. But um, festivals and things like that are on hold. Um, I don't think any large festivals and things like that will be happening this year. So a big question from me, um, having kayaked all over the place, do you have uh, some bucket list rivers that you still need to take? What are your big ones that you would like to get off, get off the, the list? <laughs> well, Zimba <laughs> the Zambezi has always been one I wanted to do. Um, yeah, okay, so, sure. so we'll we'll do that. <laughs> yep, absolutely. It's it was always being right at the top of the list. My mom coming from there as well, and um, in New Zealand, I'd love to do some rivers over in New Zealand as well. Do you know which um, ones in New Zealand? Um, Kaituna is one I wanted to do, and then I can't even name the right now because they're not at the top of my head. But um, and I Kaituna would love is to so much fun. Yeah. So those are top areas I'd like to go. Nice. Um, okay, so we got a couple more questions that I've got here. Um, just uh, just for interest's sake, uh, I want to know if you had one wish, what would you wish for? What would I wish for? Oh, at this point, I think mostly um, to be completely healthy. I've gone through quite a lot of, uh, you know, health issues and physical issues and a surgery and i think right now that is one thing i'd like to attain is getting a little bit back into really good health have so. you got a plan on how you're going to execute that 
Uh, yep, I'm already achieving, going through that right now. I've got exercise routine. I've changed my diet uh, base and just trying to do things that are going to help me build up my immune system to a better place. Yeah, Self-nurture. Yep, self, yep. Yeah. And my last question that uh, should become a standard question as well um, is what is it that you want to be remembered for? What is the, the legacy you would like to leave? Um, well, I'd like to be remembered as the person who you could come to to have a lot of stories told to you. Um, and the one that, if you wanted to go down the river, that's where, you know, you're going to find the person who would take you in the jungle. Um, I always had this vision of growing old, living in a tree. And if you want a story, you're going to pass up a bottle of wine and you'll get your story. So I want you to be remembered as you're going to, you know, if you want to come up in my tree house, that's, that's what you're going to get. You're going to get a story, but you got to give your offering first. So, um, I do. I think I have a lot of stories to tell and I think I'd love, you know, to get them more out there of the experience I had growing up in the jungle, um, paddling as a girl in that country and just going through a lot of um, mental health issues, just getting through that stage. So I think there's a lot to cover there. So, yeah. That's amazing. You're going to, there's going to be a song about you. There was an old woman who lived in a tree. That's <laughs> Bring her yeah. some wine and she'll let you in free. <laughs> yeah. the sign on my door actually says that 24 hours, there's storytelling, singing and dancing. Uh, you know, that's what that's actually on my door. So that's home. amazing. That's perfect. Uh, Rachel Stratton says, uh, you got to teach me to swim first. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I think that's where we're going to wind up today, guys. Uh, if you enjoyed the show, please join us next week. Uh, I've got, I'm still working on it, but I have a very interesting guest next week. This will be a bit more interesting to the Zimbabwean folk, but uh, but uh, yeah, it, I think it will be interesting to everybody because there will be a lot of very interesting perspectives shared, but I'm not going to tell you who it is yet. If you want to be at the forefront of the whole thing, join the Soshing for Suntwe group, Soshing with Suntwe group. And um, You'll see what's what when it uh, when it when it happens. Well, I'm not going to give away right now exactly what I'm working on, just in case he doesn't come next week. Maybe another day. But yeah, Abby, thank you so much for taking the time out to yep. chat with us. It thank you for having me. Pleasure. It's nice to talk. Uh, it's nice to talk river stuff again. It's been a bit of a while. I haven't. Uh, I've done a little bit of paddling in England, but not much, and that's more my fault than anything. So. But uh, I have big visions to be hitting the water hard soon. And uh, well, hopefully we'll be doing it together as well. Yeah. Well, let me know. So cool. thank you for having me. It's been real fun talking with you tonight. Thank you for everybody who came to watch as well. And uh, without you guys, it would all be pretty pointless. So, yeah, big love to you all. And thanks for the support and for your comments. And from that, I'm going to say good night.